Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center. We are a refuge for healing. We are a launch pad for transformation. This is the the mission that the Lord has given us, uh, the vision placed in front of us to see people healed and lives changed uh, in the world around us. Um, And we're going to talk about that today. Um, I really felt like uh, it was good to kind of reground as we head into a new season, just to put the vision back in front of us um, in its heart, right? It's not about the do, do, do. It is about the what, 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 right? Like, what is it that God has called us to? And then um, helping understand um, the heart of the Father and why you're here. Boy, I got real quiet. All right. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions. The first one is, what are you passionate about? And I would love to hear from you. What are you passionate about? Just popcorn, yell it out. What are you passionate about? Jesus, people, faith, faith. healing, Deliverance. deliverance. What was the other one? Missions, real estate. Come on. There you go. What are we passionate about? Jim's passionate about woodworking, right? Yeah. What are you guys passionate about? Linus? Glasswork. Ooh. Ooh. Jewelry. Yeah, there's so many things that we can be passionate about, right? So many passions that are in us. And I know some of us are passionate about knives, like Dennis, and fly fishing. Okay. Yep. Come on. Um, So... It's good to ask the question about what are we passionate about and what stirs our heart. And one of the things when it comes to the kingdom, the Lord will take the things that we're passionate about and that stirs our heart and he will co-opt that ordinary thing and turn it into something holy. He'll take the ordinary and make it set apart for him. Holy. And set apart for him. One of the things that I ask people when it's, they, they say, well, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what my calling and ministry is. We, oh, okay, well, what do you, what do you, what's your, the burden on your heart? When, when you think about the brokenness of the world, where does your passion turn? Is there, is there a group of people that you might be called to? Are there, are there types of people that you're called to? Are there mindsets that you feel like, man, I just wish that would move? And you get real burdensome about it. You know, you feel a weight to it. And then when we think about us as a community of faith here at Harvest, as the family of God, as a church, we look at this and we go, well, what's, as a group, collectively, what are we passionate about? Because each of you are passionate for different things. But yet, collectively, we have to say, okay, well, as a group, we're going to be passionate about a few things, right? And that's part of coming into alignment and agreement with the body of Christ, where you fellowship and with the leadership that you're willing to walk with, with the people in your life that you're going to be accountable to, that you fellowship with, that are your support system and your network of hope and faith. You know, as you look at those things, it's good for us to be common in our vision so that we understand why we're here. What are we doing here? Right? And the question is, when you came here this morning, this moment, it's good to say, well, why am I here? Some of us are here Because of a broken heart and a desperate need for hope. That's good. That's not bad. That's not a bad thing. Because we know who the hope is. Maybe there's something that has been wrong in your life for a long time and you don't know how to fix it. Well, we know the fixer. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you've lived your life not feeling valued, not feeling like anybody noticed you, saw you, or cared. 
We want to see you. We want to know you. And we want to value you. Whatever the motivation is that you're here today, we're glad you're here. There's no judgment on that. And as a community, can I just say, if even if you're here out of a sense of religious duty that I need to go to church because God's not going to be happy with me if I don't, we'll fix that. Okay? Right? We'll fix that. But the, the reality is that even if you came out of religious duty, the Lord wants to meet with you. So it doesn't matter why you came. We're glad you're here. But it's good for all of us to ask the question, why am I here today? Why are we here? And some of us, it's absolutely the relationships. Amen. People that we know and love and that we, I mean, I get sad when I'm not here for a week because I just love the faces and hugs and touching people when we can hug, you know. <laughs> Shaking hands, checking in on each other, how are we doing? And yet there's also opportunities that we have throughout the week. I love this family of God. Amen. It's absolutely wonderful. So then, if we can begin to understand why we're here and we have an honest assessment of our motivations for coming, we need to begin to ask the question, what is our purpose, right? What is the thing that drives us? What is our purpose? And, and you know, we can, it's easy to have the Sunday school answer, love God, love others. Yes, yes, but let's acknowledge that each of us have an individual purpose This is something that you're called to do and something that someone who you are called to be. Our role as a community of faith, as the family of God, is to help each of you achieve your call and your purpose. The most, most um, authority structures are a pyramid where there's one person at the top who lords over. And Jesus said, no, you got to flip that pyramid upside down, right? Because the, the one who supports should be supporting underneath. The one who leads is actually last. So the role of the ministers in this church, those people who have a calling as ministers, they, our role is to serve you to help you accomplish the dreams that are in your heart and fulfill the purpose and the destiny that is on your life. Now, when we build that together, we do that as a community, the goal for what we're doing here at Harvest is to make sure that we create an environment where people walk in and are made whole so that they can go change the world. It's not about how big we are. As long as we're fulfilling that goal, we're good. But it's wildly attractive when you can go to a place and find healing and then get equipped to go change the world and grab more people to find healing and get equipped and go change the world. People wonder, why do we have structures in a church? Well, it's for the express purpose of having a pathway for people to connect, get healed, and go change the world. Without that structure, it's just we have no idea what's happening. We have no idea who's growing, who's changing, who's shifting, where do they need help. How many of you know we want to help as many people as possible? Their souls are on the line. We want to help as many people as possible come in the kingdom and get equipped to expand the kingdom. And yes, God is pleased with one and two. He'll leave the 99 and go after the one. But we have a region to bring into the kingdom. It is bigger. But it is through us individually we need to be mentoring, discipling. We need to be reaching out. We need to be practicing praying over our neighbors and our street and our families next door. We need to be releasing the love of God everywhere that we can to become the aroma of Christ to a world that is lost. 
And we can do that together. Amen? Amen. I wanted to read a brief story from an author who um, was traveling and he was in Morocco. He was invited on a trip to Morocco, fresh out of college. He says, I was in my mid-20s and made conversation with a man not too far from my own age who was tending to a spice stand with barrels overflowing with exotic old world flavors. We were in the center of Marrakech's overwhelming Jamal El Fina market, which, as the beating heart of this storied ancient city, could be understood as the Times Square of a distant age. Holding a pungent bag of dried turmeric, I asked him how long he'd been working at this stand. All his life, was the answer. So I asked him how he'd started. It was his father's, was the answer. So I asked him how his father got started. Well, it was his father's, was the answer. Before him, his father's. Before him, again, his father's. He smiled. So I paused for a moment and then asked him how far back this stand went. A shrug was the answer. I paused again, and finally I asked if he'd ever dreamt of doing anything different. No, was the answer. I shared with him that I was in the process of trying to figure out what to do with my life, and that sort of questioning was almost a rite of passage for people like me back in America. He laughed and explained in Morocco, or at least in his Morocco, what to do with life was never a question. You are born into it, and like the root of a tree extending through soil of time, your purpose is to continue its push through the layers of each age. In such a way, the contours may change with each generation's unique conditions, but the purpose it grows from and the meaning it seeks always remains the same. I smiled. It would be trite to call that a job or a career because it was so much bigger. And in the kingdom, it's so much bigger. Whether you know it or not, someone led you to Jesus. You are a generation who inherited from your father and mother spiritually, whoever brought you in the kingdom. Like a tree planted in good soil, whose purpose remains the same for all generations since the day of Pentecost. So, we have a bigger purpose. And to, we all together are planted. I love that story. I want us to become a people who encounter God so well that we can become encounters for others, right? So we can encounter God so magnificently that the people around us encounter God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open to Isaiah 58. This is by far my favorite passage in Scripture. This is the uh, passage that right after I was first saved was one of the first verses I was asked to memorize by a mentor of mine. Um, and I memorized this uh, three verses. And um, it has driven me and the ministry that the Lord put in my heart to begin to build, which you are all a part of. <laughs> Right? Like the vision that we have here, the things that we do, are these are things that we've expressed because the Lord has put it on the heart of my amazing wife. She's at home with her brother who's up from Bend today. Um, so uh, there's, this, there's this thing in our hearts that was burning from before I was ever in ministry. And when we got into the ministry, the Lord really said, you got to do it differently than what you're seeing in the church I was going to and even the churches that I attended Right? I'm like, there's got to be a better way. Like, it's good, but there's something missing. 
And to me, it was that some of the purpose had been lost in the church. Anybody agree with that? Isaiah 58, starting in verse 10, If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and he will satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Verses 10 and 11 is all about the refuge for healing. Okay. If you extend your soul to the hungry and you satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Listen, God wants us to extend ourselves to the world around us, souls extended. This is outreach found through meeting the needs of the afflicted. This is called to an external focus for those who believe. Do you know that that we as a community are a refuge for healing, but you are a refuge for healing? Because we come and we experience the healing power of God. We allow him to move in our hearts and our minds. And then we become the messengers of hope. We become the agents of change. We become those who are going out and healing people. That's the transformation is when you get the healing yourself, you can then begin to go heal others. And do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. We all need healing. And if you believe that you're all good, let's meet. (laughs) In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? He goes on to say, listen, it's not us peddling the word of God, but it is the power of God in us. And let me, let me just say, this is a very interesting point. So for some, the aroma that we carry is actually the stench of death to some people. And the picture that I like the most that I think does the best job of kind of explaining what this scent is, is um, let's imagine um, back in the day with, uh, in, in Israel, when Israel would take the opposing uh, king captive, right? They would conquer a nation. And then what they would do is before they slayed all of the upper echelon, the generals and the kings, and if they were able to capture them, they would drag them into town in change as a parade and a procession in front of all of the, all of the people. Right? So imagine that as a smell to the people that are being drug in. They're conquered, they're beaten. They know they're going to die. This procession, and let's just say in in Israel, they would put forth incense because it was a worship moment. So they would smell the incense and they would be like, this is the stench of death as they go to the gallows or whatever it was to get beheaded or however they kill. I don't know. Something not fun. And yet to everyone watching the victory, that smell was the, was the scent of victory and life. The same smell with two very different meanings. We 
are the fragrance of Christ. And for those who are held captive, it's, it's a fragrance of death because they know that they are judged. They don't realize that in the procession is the opportunity for freedom. We get to be the ones when they come up and say, do you want to be in the kingdom? Because there's freedom in that smell. And then they have a choice whether they're going to come in or not. We are the fragrance of Christ. Be bold because not everybody's going to like how you smell. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I do recommend deodorant, but that's totally up to you. The reality is, is that we carry a fragrance. For some, it's of death leading to death. and others, it's life leading to life. What fragrance are you giving the world? Because you want the fragrance to be the fragrance of victory. You don't want to be <laughs> spraying the wrong thing. You don't want to, you don't want to be like saying, this is Jesus, and then you've got a can of like ammonia vinegar or something. Yeah, skunk smell, something else, right? You, you want to make sure that your fragrance and the aroma is of Christ. I, I, love, I love some of the evangelists who go out there and they reek of judgment and then they call it persecution. No, you're a jerk. <laughs> then there's those who are, are humble and exalting the name of Jesus and they're being evangelists and they're bringing the aroma of Christ and then certain people react horribly to it, that's not them being a jerk because it is founded in love instead of judgment with a desire for someone to be made whole instead of to understand that you're so broken. They know they're broken. Sometimes they need a little clarity about the holiness of God, the goodness of God. Because when you compare your, well, your life to the goodness of God and what he has, ah, there's a big difference. So we must carry the fragrance of Christ. Now, my thing I see happening is more and more involvement in politics, school boards, more involvement in um, the, the government, more involvement in um, a lot of areas that are of high tenor concern right now in our nation. And believers are starting to step more and more into those places. Will you partner with me in praying that they carry the aroma of Christ instead of the stench of the devil? Right? Like, like they need to carry the aroma of Christ into these places of authority. They need to carry the aroma of Christ into the places where um, there are major decisions that need to be made and godly men and women need to rise up in this season and make their voice heard, but let it be the aroma of Christ. I sent out a newsletter on social, social media tips last week. Usually I get a couple of responses. That one was chirp silent, right? I, it, it, you know, one of the things that we cannot do is let accusation come from our mouth. Accusation is the devil's playground. When you step into something and you begin to accuse someone of their motive, you begin to accuse them of, well, you're really this and you're really that, and we throw around the, the buzzwords, we've stepped on the devil's territory. Jesus is not the accuser. Satan is the accuser. So let us maintain an aroma of Christ in the world and let's pray for everyone who has influence that they maintain the aroma of Christ in this world. And let me tell you, when somebody plays dirty, it's really easy to try and play dirty too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Marsha's nodding. She was in local government politics. She knows what that looks like. It's really hard to maintain integrity in those situations. We need to pray 
In fact, let's pray right now for everyone who's a believer that is wanting to get into government, school board positions, anything locally, that they maintain the aroma of Christ. Will you pray with me for that? Father, we come before you right now and we ask that you just begin to move on hearts and minds of those people who have influence and authority in our community. Father, I'm praying that the righteous would rise because your word says that when the righteous are exalted, the city rejoices. So Father, we're asking that the righteous would rise in our nation, it would rise in our state, it would rise in our county and in the city governments. Father, I am asking in Jesus' name for those who are righteous, like a Cornelius, but who don't know you yet, you would radically encounter them in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they would give their lives wholly to you. Father, that they would serve you at a much higher level than, than many people who know you choose to do. God, they would rise above every attack, that they would rise above every dirty trick, that they would rise above that tension inside of them that wants to fight back in the world's manner. And Father, I pray that you would give them grounding in your word and grounding in the spirit in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Uh, I, I really suggest that you take some time at least once a week to pray for government officials. Amen. So, let's talk a little bit more about this purpose as a refuge for healing. How do we, how do we really fulfill that well? Well, let's just go over a couple chapters to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. How do you rise above attacks? Regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things, say all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How? Okay, so we've got... We've got Purpose, we understand that we are to be the fragrance of Christ. Here it talks about being ambassadors of Christ to the world around us. And what is the ministry that the ambassador has? To reconcile the world to God. The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. And this is a place where we really want to make sure that this starts at home. Amen? With you. <laughs> With you. That means that the relationships in your life that are sideways, go and be reconciled. You know somebody's bugged with you? Go and be reconciled. No, not wait for them to fix it. You go. All right, husbands, you maybe have heard me say it before. I'll say it again. If you want to be a leader in your home, be the first to apologize. Well, that was crickets. All right. So be the first to apologize, and here's why. As agents of reconciliation, if you know that you have hurt or offended or bothered somebody, it is your responsibility to go to them and ask forgiveness. If you're going to lead, start there. Watch your wife suddenly get unlocked. Watch your wife begin to thrive because you're willing to lead in humility. Wives, that doesn't abdicate you from the responsibility that if your husband is offended at you to go and be reconciled. We each are responsible for ourselves. But husband, 
Stop putting yourself on a throne and humbly bring yourself down and serve your bride in humility, in humility. And all the godly men said, amen. Amen. Okay, there's only seven of you. It's cool. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Hey, I'm, I'm going to be bold with you because this is what we need to hear. We need to be reminded that God, Jesus put the onus on us. If someone is offended with you, do not bring your gift to the altar, but go and be reconciled to your brother. Amen. Now, we talk about this reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. Listen, God takes us from lowly to holy. He takes us from selfish to selfless. He takes us from shame to glory. So when God gets involved in your life, when God gets involved in who you are and you are reconciled to God, we no longer are going to uh, uh, consider you, treat you, or think about you according to the flesh, but instead we want to think about you, consider you according to the Spirit. We regard no one according to the flesh. What this means is that if you are in Christ, we are going to regard you according to who God has called you more than your behavior. So when your behavior is sideways, that's clearly not what God's best for your life is. And it is not what he has called you into. Would you agree with that? So, you already know, because hopefully you got the Spirit of God in you, but sometimes we don't know where we're going. We don't know what God's called us to. So welcome to the body of Christ, where we regard no one according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit that says, God has called you a righteous and holy man of God. God has called, called you a powerful voice in the kingdom, woman of God. When we get redirected to the identity that God has given us, we will soon let the flesh die because our eyes are focused on him and we are pursuing him and we are chasing him. In my blog on social media posts, I'm like, I've never seen anybody have a radical mind change from your social media post. There's a couple examples, right, where somebody refuted something and it made them think. Praise God for that. Pretty rare. Pretty rare. So, what if we just point to the king all the time? What if we point to who God called you instead of your failures and your faults and your foibles? What if we reconciled you to your identity in Christ? As a refuge for healing, this is a major part of what we do in reconciliation is saying, hey, I understand that's difficult for you, but that is not who God has called you. God has said you are this. Let us move this direction to get you over here, and let's let the flesh and those things die because you're, we're immersed in the presence of God, pursuing God. We have radical stories of this transformation happening. Where, where even it takes years sometimes, that's okay. We're still the refuge for healing. Some things are really hard to kill in our life. Some addictions are just pernicious and evil. And they are just really difficult to get rid of. Okay, men, you struggle with pornography. We have a pure desire men's group. Go see John LaPointe, and it's private, and you don't have to make some public confession, but you're going to find some healing. Are you guys okay? We need to be reconciled to our identity in Christ. This is how you go from needing healing to becoming a healer is learning who you are. We need to reconcile family. Part of our role here is to help you reconcile family. We want to be able to tell people, welcome home here. And hopefully we're not as dysfunctional as you're 
you know, human family. <laughs> Every family has some dysfunction, so please disregard your notion of perfection at harvest. We don't want to be a dysfunctional family. We want to be an empowering family that empowers each other, that builds each other, that has patience for each other. We also need to see marriages made whole and reconciled. Part of, part of that process, of course, is, is just the stuff that we've talked about, right? Because if your marriage is having a rocky and difficult time, the focus should be that you become the person that you are called to be in your relationship. You become the person that you are called to be in your relationship. I can't count how many counseling sessions I have where it is finger-pointing Every, the other person is always wrong, and they get it all wrong. And I'm like, well, what do you think your part is? Well, if they wouldn't do blah, 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 then I wouldn't. Well, let's stop, start right there, right? We have to take personal ownership and responsibility for our lives and our actions and our behaviors. Being reconciled in a marriage is that you are wholeheartedly pursuing God first. And then you learn how to live with your spouse with honor, love, and respect on all sides. It's not, you know, that's the one misnomer with this concept of love and respect is that respect is only demanded one way and love is only demanded the other way. No, it is both love and respect for both in a healthy marriage. So let us remember that for many broken marriages are already here in the room, and then many broken marriages will be coming into the room. If we can mentor and disciple a husband, if we can mentor and disciple a wife, it will begin to transform the marriage. And if you need help in your marriage, say so. We would love to partner with your transformation. One thing that Mika and I know and one thing I know about our church is that people who give themselves to getting help here will not leave the same. They won't. I believe it is literally impossible. If you are willing, you will change. The Spirit of God is here to move those mountains. And we will partner with you to move those mountains. Even if it seems overwhelming, and as if it's impossible, God will move those mountains. Amen? Okay. When we become people of refuge, we see healing take place through reconciliation. This is the major role that we have in this, in this region as a church. We're reconciling um, the division in churches. We're reconciling uh, uh, the political divides. We are. We are, because we're of his kingdom, not just Republican or Democrat. We all might align on one side of that line or the other in your political views. Let me just tell you, it's good that you have your eyes open and looking straight at Jesus and ask him where it is you need to stand. When we get our eyes on him, we actually become the aroma of Christ when you talk about politics. Many of you know I've got uh, somewhat of a relationship with the, with the mayor of Sandpoint who does not have my political beliefs. Okay, but the reason why I have a relationship with him is because I don't have a bunch of hills I'm going to die on except for Jesus as Lord. So we can actually have really healthy conversations about what God wants to do in Sandpoint. And you know what's funny? He leaves encouraged. You know what's sad? I am the only Christian conservative that he knows that he can have a conversation with. So, let us be the aroma of Christ. And not 
create hills to die on that have nothing to do with his lordship. Even though you can see all the things happening, and yes, you need to be aware, and yes, you need to pray. Yes, you need to be vocal, and you need to be bold. I'm not saying don't do that, but do it with the aroma of Christ. Ask a question instead of levy accusations. Are you guys okay? Good. All right, let's go back to Isaiah 58. Let's look at verse uh, 12. Okay, I'm going to read verse 10 and 11 again so we can, we can kind of sum that part up. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, what happens? Your light shall shine in the darkness and the darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. As you extend your soul, as you become a refuge for healing as a community, as we do this, we're not worried about food. We're not worried about refreshing. Why? Because it is the Lord who satisfies our soul in drought. It's the Lord who strengthens our bones and makes us a a watering hole for refreshing. The world is deeply dehydrated. All right, verse 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Let's talk about waste places. Those from from among you shall build the old waste places. So the areas where there is brokenness, the areas where it feels like it is lost, God is saying repurpose it. Repurpose the broken things. You want to transform the world? Take something that is broken and repurpose it into the kingdom. Repurpose the broken things. Listen, for many people, the church is a waste place. We did our uh, garage sale, uh, state sale of, of stuff this last week and, uh, weekend, and um, it was really interesting. A lot of people don't know me. They don't know I'm a pastor. They don't know, you know, they're just here rummaging through stuff, and, you know, we're selling things. And um, um, I was really saddened at one conversation that I overheard between a couple people that were believers, and they were just so proud that they basically had absolutely cut off all connection with the body of Christ. And that, hey, and it's like, they, they were like, I, I refuse to attend or go to a church, which is fine. But the, then it was like, because, you know, this is really, really, the, this is what God is doing, and this is the holiness of God, is that we come out from the fellowship and just be set apart for God because it's broken and it's actually evil, and they just started bashing, bashing, bashing the church. And, and I get that some churches are, are waste places. The thing that made my heart sad wasn't that people weren't attending a church. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me was the pride that came up in that, you know, that dismissal of what God's doing in people in communities. It just made me sad for a moment, you know? And um, I think knowing that the church for many is a waste place, we have to realize there's not a lot of good reasons to go to a place with broken down walls. There's not a lot of good reasons to go to a place that is the same or worse in their dysfunction as the world. In order for us to repair the waste places, we have to be a different kind of Christian that even the believers aren't used to. Those who are so sold out to the will of God and loving people 
who are so sold out to his presence, to knowing him deeply and personally, to chasing after God in every circumstance, that those people who know Jesus will begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness again. So, we shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. I love this. How about we, we as we set a new foundation, let us build unto the generations. Let us take this tree that we are a part of in the body of Christ that has roots that go deep and let us build so that the next generation can carry on the legacy of what is in our hearts. And I'm not talking about money and buildings. I'm talking about the legacy of a life so laid down that it transforms the next generation. This is what a launch pad of transformation looks like because we become the people who raise up the foundations of many generations, past and to come. He also says, you shall be called uh, the repair of the breach. This means that as a body, if we're going to transform the world, we're repairing breaches. We are bridge builders. We uh, see reconciling of the reconciliation of division. We begin to see the transformation happening in relationships. We seek to bridge the gaps, not just point at the gaps. It's easy to see where it's broken. Are you a repairer of the breach? Are you someone who will go in and repair the breach, or are you just going to point at it? That is not what we are called to do. We are called to be repairers of the breach. Get involved as the aroma of Christ and repair the breach. We also are the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is about community healing. We take the strongholds down that impair the gospel so people can live in freedom and in peace in Christ. If you're going to restore the streets, that's talking about the pathway for the economy, the pathway for commerce, the pathway to your neighbor's house. We restore the ways that people connect we restore the things that have been broken in the community and things that are in the way from the highway of heaven coming into this region. We will take down those strongholds as a launch pad of transformation. This is why we have an intercessory prayer group led by Charlene who goes after things in this community to pray and pray and pray and see those things broken down. For harvest and the region and the nation. We are not a small scope intercessory prayer group. As we close here today, will you turn with me to Acts chapter 19? Okay. Acts chapter 19. Um, just context so that you know, Paul's on, I don't remember, I think this is his, hang on, the, um, the third missionary journey before he gets sent to Rome, okay, before he's arrested, this is, this is his trip before he gets arrested in Jerusalem, um, to go to, um, you know, he, he ends up sharing the gospel for, before kings, um, is in prison, um, and then gets transferred after the book of Acts ends. Church history has that Paul gets transferred one more time. And in the, the, third, the third 
place that he gets transferred to, he gets beheaded. Okay, so this is, this is where Paul's, Paul's at, um, is before all of that happens, he um, launched every single missionary journey out of Antioch, and then um, the next place he goes in this journey is Ephesus. So he goes to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is ruled by, um, by a, a spirit, a female goddess called Diana, okay? Now, the female goddess Diana has a large temple there, um, it's in ruins now, but it's still there, <laughs> okay, in, uh, in current day Ephesus. And in this city, this was the demonic stronghold over the city. And in fact, Ephesus was known as the magic capital of the world at the time. Magicians would come from all over and practice signs and wonders and they would prophesy and prognosticate, and they would uh, read minds and, and give you your fortune and, and all of that kind of stuff. All that was happening all the time in Ephesus. It was a very high-level, demonic stronghold. So Paul goes, and it happened um, that he runs across some disciples there who had been ministered to by Apollos, and they had been baptized into a baptism of repentance, into the baptism of John. Apollos was hungry for God, and he's going around, and he's teaching. Finally, he gets pulled aside by um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and they uh, teach him more properly, right? Like, hey, we love that you're passionate, but you need to understand who Jesus is. You need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul runs across these disciples, and then he uh, baptizes them in the name of Jesus, and then lays hands on them, and they speak in tongues. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's in the first part of, of chapter 19. Verse 9. So of uh, verse 8, he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for about three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, the school of Tyrannus is a hall. It's a lecture hall. So he goes and rents this lecture hall and starts using the school of Tyrannus to have his meetings instead of at the synagogue, which was what's his habit to do being a Pharisee. This continued for two years in the school of Tyrannus so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. When ministry moved out of the religious sphere and into the marketplace, when the teaching went from the synagogue into the marketplace, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord in two years. In two years. I love the next verse. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. I love that in the magic capital of the world, God had to do unusual miracles. God's, God's up to the challenge. He's up to the challenge. Amen? Okay. We'll see transformation in our region happen when we choose to repurpose the brokenness for the Lord's purposes, when we rebuild the foundations, when we reconcile and, and reconcile families, marriages, reconcile people to God, and when we see that the community is restored back to the place that God has called it to. This is why we're here. You want to know what we do at Harvest? It's that. Everything that we do here is unto this purpose. The small groups we have, even the growth track, all the things that we do, the worship encounters, 
the different things that we do, it is all for the sake of being a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father God, I am reminded of the simplicity of the gospel, that Jesus, you came as God sent from heaven because of the brokenness and the sin of man to reconcile the world to yourself, that you loved us so much that you sent your only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life that they would not die, they would not perish eternally, but that they would have hope in you, that they would be reconciled to the original design of having a relationship with you. So I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that calls us to come to you, to give you the shame, to give you the brokenness, to give you the failures, to give you the the pain that we've encountered and exchange it for life and peace and healing and glory and your righteousness. We don't get to be good enough to obtain it (coughs) on our own. But it is a free gift of God. And I want to invite anybody who's here today who needs to rededicate their life to Christ, who feels a pull within them to exchange their brokenness for God's wholeness in their heart and in their life. I want to encourage you right now to invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, to invite him into a place of complete surrender, saying, God, I know what I can do on my own. I need you. So I want you to do that right now. If that's you, just say, God, I'm going to give you everything. I give you my shame. I give you my pain. I give you my failures. I'm asking that you forgive me of my sin, that you reconcile me to yourself. And God, I need to encounter you and experience you because I know you're real, but I need to know you in a real way. So right now, I ask that you invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, come. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Father, I'm asking for every heart that is praying that prayer that you give them new life right now in Jesus' name, that you fill their heart with your goodness that you, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've taken their sin. It was nailed on the cross with you and it shall be remembered no more. There is freedom in Jesus. If you rededicated your life to the Lord this morning or you gave your life to Jesus for the first time, I ask that you come and see me and just mention it. I'd love to follow up with you. Make sure that you are getting the equipping that you need to walk with Jesus, that you have a mentor in your life, somebody that you can lean into, to lean on, to get the help that you need to walk this relationship with Jesus forward. Now, church, I'm gonna ask that you commit yourself to the aroma of Christ in your life. So Heavenly Father, we come before you and we commit ourselves to hearing you, to seeing what you're doing, and to not speak or say what you're not saying and what you're not doing. Forgive us, God, for the accusations that have flown out of our mouths. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that every person here would commit their life to being a refuge for healing, that they would commit their life to equipping and training the people around them to be change agents, to showing everyone around them what does Jesus smell like? 
Holy Spirit, will you sensitively and gently continue to bring correction when we're off? Will you show us when we have habits that don't give off the fragrance of Jesus? Show us, God, what you say about us, not just what we're seeing and hearing. Father, I pray for upgrades in the reconciliation factor, God, the ability to take broken things and make them whole, the ability to be reconciled with anyone who's offended with us, or, Father, to be reconciled in those moments where there is division, where there is. God, give us the words of life. Give us words of wisdom so that we might be able to build the bridge to see your kingdom established in this place. And I thank you that your kingdom has been established in our hearts today. We give ourselves wholly to your work, God, not to strive and do more, but to abide in you, to be the aroma of Christ and ambassadors of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Will you give God praise? Come on. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.